The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today I am honored to welcome my guest, Dr. Teo Reyes. He is the Chief Program Officer for Restaurant Opportunities Centers United. He joined what is called Rock United in September of 2011 while completing a doctorate in comparative human development from the University of Chicago. Previously, Dr. Reyes served as co-director at Labor Notes, director of Transnationals Information Exchange in North America. He helped found the National Coalition for Dignity and Amnesty, and he was a community organizer with the United Farm Workers. Most recently, he was appointed as a lecturer and visiting scholar at the Goldman School of Public Policy at the University of California in Berkeley. At the University of Chicago, he was awarded a National Science Foundation Graduate Fellowship and was appointed as a fellow at the Institute for Mind and Biology. He earned a dual undergraduate degree in economics and Russian from the University of Michigan. And Dr. Reyes's first job was at McDonald's. Welcome, Dr. Reyes. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, your background is so intriguing to me. Can I start by asking you what you remember about your first job at McDonald's? <laughs> sure. I can't really say I have very many complaints. I would say that I clashed with the uh, supervisors from time to time, and I ultimately ended up leaving because they wanted me to cut my hair, uh, which a hairnet would not have been sufficient. So I went and found a, a different job at a public library after that. Well, tell me how you found the United Farm Workers. Well, along with working with McDonald's, you know, it's sort of always been connected to uh, food work. When I was in college, we I joined a group of students in organizing in support of the great boycott that the United Farm Workers had at the time, and to try to get the uh, student dorms to stop serving grapes in honor of the boycott. And so because of that activism and and other activism, after I got out of college, I was able to actually start working directly with the United Farmers as a community organizer in both Detroit and in Chicago in support of the strawberry campaign at the time in support of their efforts to organize strawberry workers in the fields. And that was that pretty much entailed going door to door knocking and and asking people and and organizations uh, for support. It was great work. It was, it was very much really trying to link the community to the efforts of the, of the United Farm Workers. Yeah, I too am a big fan of United Farm Workers and have followed their boycotts and their work to protect farm workers from pesticide exposure in particular. I found Rock United because I want to pull back the curtain on restaurant workers and some of their conditions that we are probably not aware of. You know, we go into a restaurant, we meet our server, we order from the menu, but we really don't understand much about wages and about how race and dignity factor into that work. I wonder how you found Rock United. 
It's actually very much closely tied to the United Farm Workers because one of the first doors I knocked on in Chicago was at uh, Casa Guatemala. And of course, Oliva was an organizer there, and I recruited him to work with the United Farm Workers. And uh, once I started my PhD, this would have been many, many, many years later. Jose Oliva was working at Rock United, and he recruited me to come work on the research team for Rock. Uh, and so I became the research director and was able to put, you know, my skills from University of Chicago to use in support of restaurant workers. Right. Well, I imagine that your doctorate in comparative human development comes in quite useful for working with people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it absolutely does. But it also it helped us to uncover really the tremendous amount of sexual harassment that occurs in the industry. I was able to use the skills I learned there to develop surveys that allowed us to analyze basically what the relationship was with wages and different wages in different states and the experiences that both women and restaurant workers in general had in the workplace. And we were able to see that there's a very strong relationship between the wage system and sexual harassment in the industry. Well, how many people do you think know about some of the unsavory conditions that occur in restaurant work? I think most people don't know. I think, well, first of all, most people are unfamiliar with how restaurant workers are paid and don't realize that in, in many states, when you sit down to eat, you're actually paying this individual's wage when you're sitting down to eat because the minimum wage for a tipped employee in the United States is only $2.13 an hour. And anything that they actually um, are able to get to pay their bills comes directly from the tips that customers leave them. So you're actually, when you sit down to eat, you're entering into a, an employer-employee relationship, which I think most people are com- completely unaware of. But it leads to all sorts of other abuses as well, right? We see tremendous rates of sexual harassment, of wage theft, and a lot of it is is fundamentally tied to this backward wage system. Right. Now, is it true that if restaurant workers don't reach the federal minimum wage with tips plus their $2.13 an hour, does the restaurant owner have to make up the difference? Yes, they do. They're required to make up the difference. There's a wide range of restaurants, right? You have restaurants that are going to be mom and pop diners. You have high-end, very fancy restaurants. And so you have opportunities for, depending where you're at, do very well or very poorly. And uh, and that has a big impact. So employers are supposed to make up the difference. They very rarely track it to ensure that they are there or not. You know, they, you might make the full minimum wage and higher on a certain day, but there might be a shift where you don't and the employer doesn't make that up. Uh, but in some cases, you have employers who are unscrupulous and, uh, you know, and regularly avoid paying their full wage, make sure that making sure the full wage gets paid. But I think it, there's a wide range, but the system really lends itself to abuse. Yeah. And I imagine many restaurant workers don't feel like they have the power to speak to the restaurant owner, or perhaps the restaurant owner may say, maybe that restaurant worker is being difficult and might let them go. Yes. So in general, there tends to be fear of retaliation. Your schedule can change, you know, on on a weekly, sometimes even daily basis, right? If if you go into work and it's a slow shift, you'll get cut and you'll go home and you won't get paid for the, you know, for the full shift or the full day. 
but you might find that you, you know, what you was your schedule one week is a different schedule the next week and where you're placed in the restaurant can have a big impact on the tips you earn. So, you know, you see, sometimes you see certainly people get fired for retaliation, but often what happens is you might not get written onto the schedule or you'll mm-hmm. get put into on shifts that they know you're not going to make very much money. And so that's, you know, that's a lot of the fear comes to do has to do with how people are placed on the schedule to go into work. Right. Well, you know what we should do? We should probably back up and just talk about the mission of your organization. So Restaurant Opportunities Centers United, we call that Rock United. It's a C3 nonprofit organization. What is your mission? Our mission is to build power for restaurant workers and to uh, and to bring restaurant workers together from different backgrounds. There's tremendous divisions in the country, and we certainly see those within the industry as well. So we want to bring workers together, but we also want to make sure that they have a, a political voice and that they're able to express that voice. Right. One of the reasons we have a two dollars and thirteen cents subminimum tipped wage is because of the lack of power that restaurant workers hold in society. Right. So is Rock United like a union? We're not a union. Uh, We're what uh, we call a worker center. Uh, We make sure that uh, restaurant workers have tools to exercise their rights and that restaurant workers can choose to unionize. But we ourselves are not a union and we can't we don't negotiate and can't negotiate any contracts. Okay. Well, I was intrigued by a webinar that Rock United hosted about the Restaurant Workers' Bill of Rights, and I actually learned a great deal during that webinar, and it was what really inspired me to have a representative on Food Sleuth Radio. And I thought it was so interesting. First of all, you've got several changes that you would like to see set forth by this Bill of Rights. It it is not a law yet. Is that correct? No, it's not a law. It's uh, basically... You know, restaurant workers coming together to advocate for their rights. One of the key things that we advocate for is thriving wage, right? And that that a thriving wage is more than um, a living wage. It's certainly much more than the minimum wage, but it also encompasses other factors, right? So one of the things that that falls into our concept of a living wage is access to health care or access to to child care access to affordable housing. So these are things that can impact a thriving wage for an individual and restaurant workers deserve the right to thrive in society. And that's, so that's one of the fundamental tenets of it. Access to health insurance beyond economic factor, making sure that people's health care is well taken care of is fundamental. We're also interested in, um, in bodily autonomy for individuals and also access to participate in governance so that we're, no, we're no, no longer excluded from decisions that are made in society. I want to touch on the right to healing and rest, because as a consumer in a restaurant, I do not want my server to have hepatitis or to have a cold that day. But because the restaurant industry does not provide uniformly access to sick days, for example, it's difficult for a restaurant worker to take time off, isn't it? Yeah, it's actually a little deeper than that. The Restaurant Association, National Restaurant Association, has been one of the primary opponents of paid sick leave legislation, both at the state, local level, and federally as well. 
And you would think that restaurants would be very invested in making sure that their employees are always coming into work healthy, but but in fact, they really they've pushed hard against paid sick leave. They really adopt a chicken little approach that any change that might be beneficial to workers is going to bring about the demise of the industry. We see that's not the case because when states pass these that pass this legislation, the industry continues to thrive in those locations. But they've always taken this unfortunate position of being one of the strongest opponents of, of this right to healing and rest. That is absolutely shameful, Dr. Reyes. I'm sure you agree with my sentiment. Let me take one break because we are halfway through. I want to remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking with Mr. Teo Reyes. He is the Chief Program Officer for Restaurant Opportunities Centers United. And Dr. Reyes holds a doctorate in comparative human development from the University of Chicago. He has served as co-director at Labor Notes, Director of Transnationals Information Exchange in North America. He helped found the National Coalition for Dignity and Amnesty, and he was a community organizer with the United Farm Workers. I am so pleased to have you with us today, Dr. Reyes, because you are pulling back the curtain on these justice issues and identifying those trade associations that are really working against workers when, as you pointed out, they should be wanting to support their workers so that they do come to work healthy and well-rested. I don't understand their way of thinking that somehow this was going to harm the industry when indeed you have data showing otherwise. Yeah. And it is unfortunate because there is, um, you know, there are a lot of restaurants that really strive to do well by their employees and by the community, but it's been the, the position of the National Restaurant Association to, to really advocate against any efforts to increase the wage or to, like I said, be able to pass paid sick days or paid family leave. We, in putting together the Restaurant Work Bill of Rights, we surveyed thousands of workers around the country. And one of the things that they kept raising was the issue that they really wanted a vacation time to be able to spend with their families and, and with friends. And I thought that was really telling that that was a, a really fundamental concern that, that workers are expressing, just the need to be able to take some time off to refresh and recover from the, the rigors of, of work in, in this country. And we know we're, we're a country of workaholics, right? And I think that's something that would, that would be to everyone's benefit if we're able to rest a little more. We also surveyed workers during the pandemic about their experiences. And what we found was that there were extremely high rates of wage theft of workers being required to go into work while sick. And of course, we've heard these stories, you know, workers, restaurant workers were really on the front lines of the culture wars, of battles around whether to wear a mask or not. And they were tasked with enforcing these rules and really had to face a lot of abuse from both customers and management. But the takeaway of it is that we found that based on those experiences, 60% of restaurant workers are actively looking for work outside of the industry, right? That is a real wake-up call for change. And that's really one of the basic reasons why we undertook this effort to both create and now push forward this uh, Bill of Rights for restaurant workers. Well, I am going to provide a link to the Restaurant Workers Bill of Rights so that all of our listeners can understand more about it. What can we do to help make this a policy rather than simply something that we'd like to see? 
Well, I mean, one of the things is that it would be very useful for people to, to talk to the representatives, tell them that they support this effort. I would ask people to text in to Rock United to join our effort to support the Restaurant Worker Bill of Rights. Uh, I think that would be the main, at this moment, the main things that we would ask is for people to, to join us in advocating for this bill. All right. I want to ask about wage theft. You mentioned that earlier. What does that look like in a restaurant setting? How are wages taken from workers? There are a lot of ways that wage theft occurs in the industry. One of the ways is because of the 213 subminimum wage, workers are asked to self-report tips. And there's actually a percentage that you need to report as a percentage of sales. So that's one of the ways this happens is that there's misreporting of tips. Employers argue that workers underreport tips, uh, but employers also have an incentive for workers to underreport tips because then they don't have to pay payroll tax and, and other taxes. Um, so that's one format. Another format is that people are required to work after their shift ends or before their shift begins, right? So they'll be they'll have activities that they have to undertake, roll, rolling silverware, for example, cleaning up their stations, and they're asked to do that before they clock in or after they clock out. One of the really insidious forms has to do with algorithmic scheduling, which basically tells managers when workers have to come in and when they have to leave, when their shift has to end. But as a manager, you, st- you are responsible for a lot more work happening. And so what they'll do is they'll pressure workers to clock out and then continue working until the work is done. And that's because of this algorithm that's created through at the corporate level that tells managers when workers have to come in and when they have to leave because they're trying to reach certain profit margins. Uh, those are those are some of the most insidious ways, but the industry is seen to have one of the highest incidences of wage theft of any industry in the country. Wow. I'm assuming that there are some restaurants that are notorious for bad behavior. Does Rock United have some sort of way of identifying those restaurants so that we could boycott them? What we do is we organize workers to take action, to take concerted action together and then to try to advance campaigns to support, right? So we received a lot of stories about sexual harassment occurring at Chili's, for example. And so we had a website where we encourage workers to come forward and share their stories. And we've been, you know, sharing that information with Chili's. Prior to the pandemic, we put a lot of effort into getting employers to voluntarily adopt paid sick leave. And so, you you know, we had a, a Pretty significant campaign bringing workers together with consumers at Applebee's, for example. But most of our efforts really entail bringing workers together to, for themselves to take action, to take concerted action. That's one of the few times you have labor protections in this country is if you join with one of your coworkers and tell jointly, tell the supervisor what are the types of changes you'd like to see on the job, then they can't legally fire you because that would be illegal retaliation. If you just go out to talk to them by yourself and they fire you, it wouldn't be retaliation. You need to take concerted action, which means you need to go with one or more of your coworkers. And that's what we try to do is try to bring workers together to go and and demand change. You know, that's, uh, as I said, that's one of the few times you're actually protected as an employee in this country is when, when you stand up with a coworker and demand your rights. That's so interesting. Well, you touched on COVID earlier and the issue of masking. I remember one of the stories 
that was told, it might have been on your webinar, but the waitress was told by one of the customers that if she wanted a tip, she had to take her mask off. And knowing what we know about not having access to healthcare and not necessarily making a living or more wage, I would think that wearing a mask would be extremely protective, not only for the customer, but for that worker themselves. How have you seen the mask wearing situation evolve over time? Well, it's gotten, it's no longer salient as the, you know, as we continue along in the pandemic. So it's become less of an issue, but it was an extremely contentious issue, right? You had really restaurant workers on the front line of the, of this issue because they both had to, you know, they, they needed to wear masks to protect themselves, but they also had to police and make sure that customers mm-hmm. wear the mask before they were seated. And then as they were moving around the restaurant and that made them the source of abuse of anyone who was opposed to masking. We still see a lot of workers that wear masks and choose to wear masks. And and I think that has become a little less of of a confrontational issue. But when they were mandated to, you know, they were essentially tasked with being the the security at restaurants and making sure that public health policy was being followed. uh, It really led to abuse. I mean, you, you talked about the sexual harassment component of it, which which was a major issue, right? Like, if you want a tip, show me your smile. But it also led to, you know, physical altercations. Uh, it, it was a very contentious period. And it was, it was really unfortunate that the restaurant workers had to be in the middle of it. Absolutely. What other lessons did we learn from the COVID pandemic, which is still going on? Well, you know, I think one of the things we learned is the value of essential workers. And I think we're at risk of losing this, right? As we, as sort of, as we come out of the pandemic, this appreciation that everyone understood for essential workers seems to be eroding away. And that's a lesson I think we need to make sure that we don't lose sight of. These are people who are on the front line in a variety of industries. But going out to to eat is a is a fundamental pleasure for most of us. And you know it's really important that we understand what it is that restaurant workers do for for society. It's a time of celebration when you go out to eat. It's an affordable night out for most people in this country. It's it can be cheaper than going to a movie theater. And so it's it's really important I think that we appreciate the work that restaurant workers do, but that all essential workers do in, in keeping society running and that and, and that we don't forget that and uh, don't backtrack and sort of close our eyes to the type of abuse that occurs in in the restaurant industry and in other industries. Mm-hmm. It's so amazing to me because, of course, I have a great reverence for food and for the people who put it on our tables. And I'm always looking for ways to promote that type of reflection and respect for people who do this work. We just have a few minutes left, and I want to make sure that I give you time to talk about the Restaurant Workers Bill of Rights or Rock United and bring forth anything you want our listeners to know. Yeah, well, one thing I'd like to reiterate is we'd love people to text the words endorse the bill to the number 40817. So that would be endorse the bill to the number 40817. And that'll allow them to sign on as a, as a supporter of this effort. I think one key thing that we, we didn't have a chance to touch on is the issue of segregation, both racial and gender segregation. And that's a really important issue. One of the things that we try to build is career ladders. We're trying to raise wages for everybody. 
but we also want to create career ladders. There are some fantastic opportunities in the industry in fine dining, but we find that there's a lot of segregation by race, by gender, who's in the front of the house, who's in the back of the house. There's a very big color line between the front of the house and the back of the house. And that's something that we're working to to overcome. And, And I think one of the things we need to have is awareness And there's also a gender line because you see women are the majority of tipped workers, but they're the minority of tipped workers in fine dining where the really high earning opportunities are. And so that's something that we need to understand about the industry and understand that this is an important issue for us to address. Uh, Everyone in the industry deserves the opportunity to grow into a real prosperous position. And we're trying to achieve that for everybody, but also make sure those pathways exist within the industry. Right. Well, and when we talk about front of the house and back of the house, do you want to make a clarification of what roles we're talking about? Because some people may not know those terms. Yeah. So front of the house would be everyone who has direct contact with customers. So that's servers, bartenders, but also the runners, bussers, and barbacks. And then in the back of the house are the cooks, the prep cooks, dishwashers, sous chefs, porters, and, and others. So the back of the house staff, because they are not tipped directly, are they paid a living wage or the federal minimum wage? They're paid at least the minimum wage. I mean, the the minimum wage in this country is $7.25. And so a lot of states have higher minimum wages. But in general, you know, once you factor tips into the equation, the wage opportunities are higher in the front of the house than in the back of the house which is part of the reason why you see the segregation take place. But, you know, in states that don't have a subminimum wage, and there's seven states around the country that don't have a subminimum wage, you can actually share tips between the front and back of the house to raise everybody's wages. But in states that do not have a full wage for everybody, that actually follow the subminimum wage system, tips can only go to tipped workers by law. I see. And with regard to unionization, I wanted to ask you about that because we've seen some of the Starbucks, for example, those employees are trying to unionize and some efforts have not been successful. What would you say about the whole role of unionization? I I think it's incredibly important. There's, you know, there was a point in time in which uh, unions were somewhat commonplace in, in restaurants, but that's, that was a long time ago. It's actually has one of the lowest rates of unionization, and it has to do with the way, with the industry structure itself. I think right now we're seeing a tremendous appetite among workers themselves to to try to form unions. And so hopefully we will see a, a new future for the industry that does allow for higher rates of unionization. I mean, we know around the country that when union rates go up, wages go up for everybody. And we, part of the reason we've seen stagnation and decline in, in wages over time has been, to the, uh, has been due to the decline in unionization. And the, the same would apply to, to restaurants as well. But restaurants tend to be individual units with small numbers of, of workers. So it can be a very challenging environment to form a union. And also it's challenging to negotiate benefits such as health insurance because that is prohibitively expensive. That's, that's one of the reasons why Universal health insurance is a component of our Restaurant Worker Bill of Rights because uh, most small restaurants might not be able to afford it, but it's, it's a benefit that everybody deserves. 
Absolutely. Well, we are out of time, Dr. Reyes, but I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN in Columbia, Missouri. But most of all, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Teo Reyes. He is the Chief Program Officer for Restaurant Opportunities Centers United. We have been talking about a very important document titled The Restaurant Workers' Bill of Rights. I will provide that and a link to Rock United, which is rockunited.org, on our show notes. Dr. Reyes, thank you so much for your time and your compassionate work. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. It was great speaking with you.